When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Ridiculous Ashes podcast. I'm Dan Lipke. With me is Alex Burden. Hello. We're covering historical Ashes series to find out which nation is the more ridiculous at cricket, whether it's England or Australia. And the series we're covering this time around is the 2009 Ashes. Yes. Uh, So the way it works is I nominate England's most ridiculous moments from each of the test matches. And Dan nominates Australia's. And then we pick our top three and give them three, two, one points to see who won that match. Uh, The first test of this series was drawn. Yes. Three points to went to James Anderson and Monty Panasar batting to save the match with all the uh, the various things that went along with that, the time wasting and and so forth. And just, but I think fundamentally, just the simple fact of James Anderson and Monty Panasar having to bat out a match and and doing so, doing so, yeah, was what carried the day there. Uh, then there were we gave two points to Australia batting for about ten thousand years and almost as many runs, and then a point to Nathan Horitz's bowling thrill ride. <laughs> uh, if you don't know what that is, go and listen to the episode. Yeah. Uh, will either team be able to take the initiative in the second test? Then uh, what happened in the second test, Dan? Uh, I'll tell you what happened in the non-ridiculous portion of the second test. So the first test, as we mentioned, was drawn uh, in non-ridiculous terms as well. Uh, Andrew Flintoff therefore decided he's going to spice things up for the rest of the series he announced that he was going to retire at the end of it uh this announcement kind of inspired england so they won the toss and put on an almost 200 run partnership between strauss and cook for the first wicket uh australia fought back a little bit they dismissed england from that uh 195 run partnership i think it was uh and then they dismissed england for 425 early on the second day but any fight back from australia was pretty short-lived because they they stumbled to 215 all out uh just short of avoiding the follow-on uh james anderson was the pick the bowlers he grabbed four wickets but Strauss uh, thrillingly refused to enforce the follow-on instead England batted again and there was a, a wonderful team batting performance the top seven all scored between 30 and 61 each uh, and that helped England to 311 for six declared which set Australia 522 for victory uh, and Australia did not reach 522 Flintoff and Swan did the damage they took five and four wickets respectively and there was a 185 run partnership in the middle there uh, for the sixth wicket that was between Michael Clark and Brad Haddon, but despite this, England won by 115 runs, and they took a 1-0 lead in the regular old Ashes. So we should probably see whether either team could take a 1-0 lead in the ridiculous Ashes. Okay, shall I shall I nominate first? Yep, let's go for it. Okay, well, be- before that, I just want to highlight one other thing about the match. Is when I was looking at uh, looking back on this match, the the Wikipedia entry says that England went into day two on a possibly shaky 364 for six, <laughs> and just reading that now, like in 2021, with England batting just it's not a sentence not a phrase that makes any any sense at all it just doesn't read yeah very strange my brain couldn't really sort of whoever wrote that wikipedia entry was probably remembering uh the previous test where england made a very good 400 and something and then australia searched 
fast yeah. to make 670 odd. So perhaps what they were that's what they were thinking of. It's like cricket from a parallel dimension. Yes. <laughs> where England aren't England. Uh, right, so my first nomination is uh, one of our favourite characters. It's Stuart Broad, and it's Stuart Broad the batsman's first ball. <laughs> uh, and this is, this is particularly fine because it, it showcases Broad's full comedy range, I think. Um, yep. So in the first innings, it's his take on a timeless comedy standard, which is getting hit in the nuts. <laughs> ben Hilfenhaus swing, swings one back into it and, uh, yeah, catches him uh, midships. And uh, you, you can see the slow builds. Broad initially looked to take a run, and that, you know, so he's, he's still mobile at this yeah. point. And then he grabs himself very briefly, goes back, and then a minute later, he, he's squatting down, leaning on his back, you know, staring at the floor, just eyes watching a bit, just waiting for it all to subside. Yeah, pondering um, how he got himself into this situation. Yeah, and um, sort of. Uh, side point on this that the video i was watching the sound didn't quite align to the footage it was also the sound was kind of ahead of the footage uh, and there was just a really unfortunately timed comment from michael atherton during one of the replays where he says shows what a difference the moving ball makes <laughs> <laughs> just as, <laughs> very very nice and matters um, and then second innings, um, Broad came in and then it immediately started raining because it's Lords and it always rains at Lords. And then that was the end of the day. Yep. Uh, and then the next morning, Andrew Strauss declared. <laughs> so it passed almost unnoticed, but Stuart Broad went out to bat for precisely zero cricket. So those were his, there was no first ball. So those yep. were Stuart Broad's starts to his innings. Yep. I'm calling them Stuart Broad's first balls. His, his first ball and his zeroth ball. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. That, yeah. That, very good stuff from uh, from Broad. And I, I think uh, you know we expect comedy from Stuart Broad. But what I kind of like about these moments is that there, there was a little bit of an Australian undercard for each each of these two moments. So before uh, Broad went out uh, the first time, uh, Ponting took a catch at slip and. It's considered tradition in Australia. I'm not quite sure what the rationale is, but you, you should always be taking catches with your fingers pointed up. I think it's drummed into youngsters or certain yeah. youngsters from a, from a very young age. And, uh, My dad's very smart, by the way. He yeah. always maintains that, you know, get your eyes behind the ball. But, I mean, equally, you could argue getting your hands in front of your eyes is not necessarily helpful. But Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Ponting took this to the extreme just before Broad came in because he managed to take a, a catch at slip, which was at about shin height, and he still managed to somehow position his <laughs> hands to get his fingers facing up so that that was a, an excellent little bit of comedy there from uh from ricky ponting which probably would have been one of my nominations except that ian botham started banging on about it a bit later and i didn't want to be uh aligned with botham <laughs> in any way and yeah. uh so yeah so that that was kind of a lead up which broad immediately trumped by just getting hit in the nuts and, and then, <laughs> and then uh, just before his zeroth ball, when he when he came out and uh, didn't have to face anything because it began to rain, there there was what will turn out to be my sec my, my first nomination, which is uh, Peter Siddle's muted appeal. So this is uh, Peter Siddle had been coming into bowl, and he uh, England were just trying to you know, set this massive massive target. They were. Well, they would have been 522 runs ahead, I guess, when uh, when uh, Peter Siddle Ooh. finally managed to get the wicket of Paul Collingwood caught behind. Uh, but despite uh, the frustrations that Siddle had, had felt throughout the inning so far, and he had felt a lot of frustrations. Ricky Ponting had, had dropped a catch at slip and Siddle had reacted by, you know, hands on heads and roars of agony and dropping to his haunches. He's not a man who hides his frustration well, I would say, Peter N- Siddle. He's... No, he's not. <laughs> yes, yeah, he's uh, he, he, he was not happy. There were balls that, you know, went wild 
wide of slips and there were audible groans of fury. So he was not having a good time. But then when he finally got the wicket of Paul Collingwood with this edge behind a hat and he just uh, kind of half-heartedly appealed, then stopped himself. And then it was only really when uh, Paul Collingwood started to walk that he kind of put uh, a finger up and tentatively asked the umpire whether that might be out. Yeah, it's a sort of like undercurrent of confusion to the whole thing. It's a really nice passage of play, actually. <laughs> yep. The journey's follow-through, he sort of almost appeals, then doesn't, pretty yep. much doesn't bother. And then, like you say, I think it might be Collingwood walking that persuades him to appeal again, or like Brad Haddon sort of half appealing. I don't know. But even then, it's it's not exactly a fulsome sort of thing. He's sort of, well, you know, may as well. Very, very un-Australian. He's just totally bemused throughout. And yeah. then he just sort of, as Collingwood's turning, as walking away, he makes sure to give him a nod to say to say cheers. It's all very civilised. It's a lovely, yeah. Yep. <laughs> lovely yeah. little moment. Yes, but very, very strange, uh, very strange little moment. Then, as we mentioned, uh, Broad comes in and it starts to rain immediately. Broad, Broad being some kind of weather god, presumably, uh, <laughs> bring, bringing the rain with him, and uh, that—that's the end of the day, and that's the end yep. of the England innings. Okay, and then uh, we we move on to Australia's uh, innings, and uh, that's that. That brings my uh, next nomination, which <laughs> is. Uh, well, it's not really Andrew Flintoff's five. Uh, it's the fact that his five uh, means that he appears on both Lord's Honours boards. <laughs> and the reason why this is ridiculous is because, um, well, he, he took so few fivers, basically. He, he made five hundreds in his test career. Uh, the previous one at Lord's was 142 in an innings defeat to South Africa, one of those ones where mm-hmm. Graham Smith did a big double hundred. Um but yeah, five hundreds and just three fivers in his entire career. So to get them both on one ground is uh, uh, quite the feat. Although set against that, I would say England do play about half their matches at Lords, so that increases the odds a little bit. Yes, the, uh, yeah. I mean, the, the other thing about this was uh, he, he got very emotional about this fiver, and and maybe just I'm I'm an awful Australian who has you know no, no sense of tradition, but he seemed disproportionately emotional about it to me. I I I, I was curious, like his Lords, his home ground, or I, I don't know where teams play in county cricket. No. He, he, he seemed to get very emotional, and I, I can't really think of any Australian situation that would correspond. I, I could vaguely imagine that if Warren had never got a five for at the MCG, maybe he'd carry on like a like a bit of a drongo in uh, <laughs> you know his fourth last test. But uh, that, that's probably it. Yeah, I, I think part I suppose it's partly fueled by the fact that he did take so few fives. Yeah, so this was like a real novelty for him. It was like. Uh, you know, almost like a part-time bowler cashing in. And not, I'm sorry, I mean to diminish his uh, bowling because he was a great bowler, but uh, yeah, they just kind of, he would often take three or four. Then when the hard work was done, there was an awareness that his knees were worth looking after, yeah. so he yeah. wouldn't bowl anymore. Well, I think because he'd announced he was going to retire, it was kind of in, like, before this match, it was in everyone's minds. But then he wasn't actually retiring yet. He was yeah. playing a load more matches. Yeah, well, that, 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 that that's the thing I had to check. I was like, oh, wait a sec. Was this his last test? Am I misremembering this completely? Is that <laughs> yeah. why he's so emotional? But no, no yeah, he's still got three to go. Everyone's heads, but it's not a thing that's actually happening. But they kind of feel like they need to talk about it. So it becomes this sort of Flintoff's last match at Lords thing, as if that's a thing, which it isn't. <laughs> Like, like the next match, no one's saying, oh, it's Flintoff's final match at Edgbaston or Headingley <laughs> or whatever. Just, like, not a thing that happened. Um, I mean, one of the things that I noticed, like, taking his wickets is this is, like, the tail end of his career, obviously. He's a, a couple of matches from the end, but... I, I, he, he passed his peak in like a uh, fan's view of him perspective mm. as well. Like 
one of the things I'd always liked him, he'd been very wholehearted and he'd seemed very wrapped up in the game and, and things like that. But by this point, he seemed like a bit of a poser. And this innings in particular, I think, was quite a good example of it. So he, he was celebrating his wickets by his kind of stopping still with his arms spread and like <laughs> the like with a really serious, like smug look on his face. Yeah. And all his teammates would sort of pile onto him. And he, he always kind of did that a little bit, but it seemed a bit more uh, calculated. Yeah, right. And then I think it was the last wicket or the fourth wicket. He, he, I think it's the last one, actually. He drops to his knees and does the arm spread thing and then closes his eyes like he's like drinking in the moment. <laughs> and then someone comes and nails his hands into the stumps. Yeah. <laughs> he's, oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, um, yeah, I, I kind of, it was all a bit much. Yeah. Yeah. It did seem to be uh, bowling at quite some pace, though. You pointed out to me, like, one delivery was clocked at 95 miles an hour, and I was sort of saying, oh, I just think the speed guns were wrong. But then I was checking everyone else, and everyone else seemed to bowl in at fairly normal speeds. So Yeah, yeah. What, what, was, was he that far? I, 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 I never remember that Flintoff was that far. I know I know he was quick-ish. Like, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't yeah. a medium pacer. He was, he was fast medium, but I didn't think he was... Like, 95 is express. That is fast, fast. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I mean, that was a real sort of... I mean, it feels like that one must have been wrong. Like, I, 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 I always think of him as being someone who was sort of, well, like, hovering around 90 on, yeah. a, you know, on a spell. But 95 is like a notch up from that. Anyway, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Is that all we have on Flintoff? Uh, well, it is for, for now, now, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not quite retired, yeah, so yep. we might make it. I, I have great, great faith that he'll be back. <laughs> all right, so my next nomination is Brad Haddon's turn. In in Australia's first innings, uh, Brad Haddon uh, is, is kind of coming to the rescue again a little bit, and he, he manages to edge the ball into the top of his pad, but the ball gets lodged between the flap of the pad and his knee. And then, for some reason, Haddon seems to think that he can be dismissed from this, so he runs away from the fielder at short leg, who's Alastair Cook, who comes in to try to retrieve the ball. So Haddon kind of jogs away from him out to the offside, and he's, he's a little bit panicky that uh, Cook will show up and Cook actually emerges on his left-hand side. Uh, the ball, the ball's in his right pad. So as, as he's a little bit wary of Cook coming around the front to grab it, he does this wonderful turn. It's like a turn that a, a soccer or football player would be proud of. He just pirouettes in one spot and then suddenly he's, he's moved away from Cook and a very nice 180-degree clockwise turn. And the, the future night is left in his wake as it was very dramatic and, and very, very good. Yeah, I, I really love this. It just <laughs> seems so out of, out of character for Brad Haddon, who is sort of like this old knight dog with his like grizzled face and his like, relentless sledging just the one thing you don't expect when brad Haddon's facing is for it to turn into this keystone cops benny hill <laughs> chase scene because flintoff sort of went after him as well so he's, he's leading them on this merry dance where all these sort of cartoon like huge hulking andrew flintoff like bobbling after him as well it was uh yeah, marvelous. But I, 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 having seen this, I now strongly believe that players should be able to be caught if balls lodge in their clothing or pads, just so that we can get more of this. If it introduces this, yeah, absolutely. And because they can't pick it up, they can't handle the ball. They've just got to run as f- away from eleven fielders, or like and praise it out with their bat. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I think that'd be brilliant. Definitely need more of that. Endorsed. <laughs> um, my uh, my next nomination is Haddon centric as well, or at least uh, you know uh, he's he's half of the equation. Uh, it's uh, his and Michael Clark's 185 run partnership. I, I, I do it's, like how you managed to uh, steal an Australian partnership and, and put it in as one of your nominations. I'm looking forward yeah, to the this, explanation for this. This needs put in context in a couple of different ways, really. So as I said in the in the in the previous episode, I was kind of looking forward to this being a less 10 series. 
series just from a sort of physical well-being point of view and like the tension of 2005 i just i remember thinking cricket can't get more exciting than this because i actually can't physically take it i would like cricket to go back to being a bit more boring so i was kind of hoping that it, this would not be quite so uh, harrowing an experience and what this partnership shows is england's incredible commitment to just delivering nervy ashes finishes anyway Australia fell to 128 for five, chasing 521. So the match is pretty safe, you'd think. You and at think. that point, and at that point, Australia put on 185 without losing the wicket. So England, to, to contextualise it more, England had bowled Australia out for 215. So wickets have been falling pretty steadily, and then they'd reduced them to 128 for five. So wickets are still falling very readily and then they suddenly and completely lost the ability to get anyone out for the next five hours <laughs> and just as an England fan I think you have to put yourself in this time like you look back now and you're like well they, you know they were never chasing 521 yes that, uh, hind, hindsight corner there's, there's, there's no real risk here yeah but <laughs> it, it doesn't seem tense, tense from like ours perspective now but I remember the stomach churning feeling of watching it unfold <laughs> and just thinking because you just we've been we've become conditioned to think that Ashes tests in England would be fraught. So yeah. in your head, you were just like making these calculations. Oh, if they've put on like 200 without losing the wicket, that's that's just the going rate now. <laughs> so we're going to get another. We're definitely going to get another 200 runs with no wicket. And then it's really we're going to be in that situation again. You, you you almost like jumped ahead in time and put yourself in in that scenario. So it felt more tense than it was. Yeah, I um, I, I think it helped. Uh, well, well hindered. In, well, help helped in terms of tension that uh, Australia or Haddon and Clark were there overnight as well so he had this uh, overnight uh, yeah so you all have to think about it yeah <laughs> and perspective was not something that was in sort of like <laughs> plentiful supply I don't think at that time it was still I mean it was quite a jarring shift in how the match was progressing it from was, just wicked yeah. falling to wicked completely ceasing to fall um, and then obviously they did get out and uh, the tail eventually sort of went and, and you know 100 or so runs is, is a good margin but like considering they were chasing 521 yeah. it didn't feel like that big yeah, um, and it's worth mentioning it was England's first Ashes Test victory at Lords since 1934. That's, that's and the one ridiculous. before that was 1896. So it's not like a sort of happy hunting ground or anything. <laughs> so I don't know. It just kind of felt like the world, like the gods were against England. I think. Yeah, I, th- I think I, I I remember like I I knew that stat that uh, they hadn't won since 1934, and you couldn't avoid it because every bloody commentary team would bring it up. <laughs> uh, but so so it's it's, it's the same as with. Uh, like the Gabba until you know India beat Australia last last summer, you get this sense that you just kind of write it in as a win going into it, even though there's no real rational reason for it. It's just oh well, we'll, no. we'll block that in as a win. And so <laughs> I, I kind of thought, well, you know, Lords will win this, and then yeah, as far behind as we fell, it's like England aren't really going to win at Lords, are they? They, they never win at Lords, <laughs> and, then, and then they did. Yeah. Wonders never cease. I, I did like that Clark and Haddon's uh, record sixth wicket Ashes partnership at Lords. Uh, speaking of old, old uh, records being broken, it, it made Sid Gregory and Harry Graham's 1893 effort look pretty pitiful. <laughs> Say that, lads. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to 
finish with my strongest nomination, which is my earliest chronologically, and that is the great man, Mitchell Johnson, bowling to the left and bowling to the right. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so England, as we mentioned, uh, won the toss. They elected to bat. Mitchell Johnson was bowling. Mitchell Johnson had bowled very well in the first test. Certainly nothing to uh, worry about. Uh, perfect, Perfectly competent bowling. Uh, this was his second test in England, and he was all over the place. He was to the left. He was to the right. He was too short. He was, yeah, he was absolute rubbish. He finished with three for 132 from 21.4 overs. So that's 6.1 runs and over he went at. <laughs> and he, even even Jimmy Anderson was slapping him around at the end of the first in- innings. It was it was just terrifying stuff. Yeah, I, I remember one of them, I think it was Nasser saying, saying, oh, he's, he's, struggling with, he's struggling with line and length, line and length at the moment. I was thinking, well, that's pretty much it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, he, he did finally get one straight and he uh, he got Cook in front. So he took, I think he took the first wicket and that was his 100th test wicket. Um, and uh, I think it was uh, Bumble on commentary who said, beware the straight delivery there, few and far between, which, which, <laughs> I, which I felt was just like teeing the Barmy Army up. If they, if they weren't singing yeah. already, uh, uh, Bumble had given them the, the premise of their song. The, I, I almost nominated this as a James Anson moment. <laughs> you were saying, because, like, although it was sort of going here, there and everywhere, he was still sort of like hitting decent speeds, still saw 90 mile an hour a lot of the time. And then Jamie's launching these yeah. sort of um, these cover drives. I was thinking he played a lot more shots back then, Jimmy. He's he's, he's become like he's he's decided that his job now is just to be there while someone else bats. But he was quite fun back in the day when he he uh, played a played a few shots. It wasn't like everyone else was getting carted either. It, like yeah, it's worth no. mentioning that. like everyone else went at sort of three point <laughs> yeah. something and over, and he went at six over over twenty one overs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, uh, he early on, so he. Yeah, he was, he was going at... Uh, he, he managed to hit the stumps again, so he managed to get another straight one. So he bowled prior to for his second wicket. At that stage, he had 13.3 overs, 2 for 88, 6.5 runs at over. And, uh, <laughs> but he man- managed to bring it back uh, by the end of day one. By the end of day one, he had 19 overs, two maidens. He somehow got two maidens in there, 2 for 107, which was 5.6 runs and over. That was a recovery until Anderson started uh, hitting him around and put it back Lay up over the runner ball. Yeah. Do you know what he didn't bowl, though? <laughs> With a moustache? No, he didn't bowl a wide. <laughs> oh, didn't he? For all that he was bowling left and right, I don't think he bowled a wide. That's fantastic. <laughs> yes. I, I assume that uh, Anderson hitting him around uh, just went into the old memory bank for, you know, four and a half years later. Yeah, I think maybe it did. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, I, I you sometimes wonder about these things, but then you... You need a bit of a refresher, and you mm. think, well, maybe he did. Sort of, uh, did he get Anderson at the end? I think he might. He got the last wicket, yeah. So, and was yeah. Anderson out? Yeah, Anderson. Yeah, if Anderson was the last man out, he got Anderson because he got the last wicket. Yeah, and I think you know words were said. Kind yes. Of thing. <laughs> so what 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 didn't make the cut here? Uh, there's, I'd say one thing that really stood up for me, which can't be nominated for either team, but there's a weird bit where the umpires are trying to gauge the light, and rather than using line meters or anything, they seem to do it. And I don't remember this happening. They seem to do it by holding the ball and moving it up and down near the turf and watching the shadow. It was very weird, wasn't it? Are they, are they trying to see if the ball's as dark as the shadow? I'm, I'm, there's probably a very simple explanation for what is happening here, but uh, my understanding of uh, yeah, light mechanics uh, do, do, doesn't doesn't assist me here. Um, I, I yeah I, I, I don't know exactly why they would be doing this. The, the commentators seem very sort of unimpressed with the, <laughs> with the ploy. I would say they seem like this is like sort of 15,000 people sitting around watching up a wave of a cricket ball near some grass. <laughs> it just seemed it. Yeah, it's still delightfully old-fashioned though. I I, I, I like that. Yeah. And there's no no light meters. We'll we'll do it the old-fashioned way. We'll 
see like Groundhog Day. We'll see whether this ball has a shadow or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, my other favourite moment was uh, when uh, Kevin Peterson was out in the declaration batting. Yep. Uh, and Ian Botham said, oh, that'll slow proceedings down. And Michael Holding replied, definitely. That four-run per over situation, Beefy, I think we, for- we can forget that. At that point, Paul Collingwood and Matt Pryor put on 86 <laughs> runs at seven and over. <laughs> it was just marvellously just the, the inaccuracy of the commentary really, really. <laughs> Me. Yep. So that's almost immediate uh, hindsight corner. Like nice. yeah, I don't, don't think you get quite, quite, uh, quite such a short time frame. Uh, in terms of other hindsight corners, I, I, I did like uh, at one point, and we're sticking with the commenta- commentators here. Nasser Hussain at one point described Michael Clark as a popular member of the team, which uh, is very funny in retrospect. Is this when? I mean, what fascinates me then is was he correct at the time? Yes. Or was he just uninformed? I don't know. Did things change, or um, was he just wrong? Yeah, I, I, I suspect he might have just been wrong, um, but um, <laughs> I, I, I guess we'll never know. And, and I guess the only other non uh, non nomination. I've got listed here is I, I, I it does quite please me that uh, on the highlight uh, videos that we're watching pretty much every single Australian inning so far has begun with the ball outside off stump that Philip Hughes has cut away for four so it's just like, <laughs> that, that's how every, every Australian innings begins yeah and it's not just like even the first sort of highlight the first like it's the all... Phil Hughes innings yeah. it's just like I'm saying oh they probably they probably shouldn't bowl to him that yeah just like a, just like six or seven courts for four <laughs> and then Hughes is out yeah every Yes, he was great. He was a fantastic cricketer to watch, just because it was so fascinating to think. Can you can you build a career on doing on the cut this? Shot. <laughs> and he and he always kept it quite in the balance, like. Maybe you can. Maybe you can. Yeah. Maybe you can't. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was fascinating. I'd lost. Yes. All right. How are we going to uh, do the rankings of these? Right. Well, as you say, your strongest last. I feel like that's again, like some of these are so sort of cla- such classic, mm. uh, timeless things or ideas. Like Mitchell Johnson bowling to the left and the right. How could that not be? <laughs> Like our three pointer. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I I saved it for precisely that reason. I knew it was my big gun. Like that that's that's one of the first things you think of. Like a, one of the first jokes I went to when he retired was bowling to the left and the right. It's just yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's definitely three points. Yeah. Um, I'm not mad keen on any of mine if I'm perfectly honest. <laughs> I quite like Stuart Broad's first balls, but it doesn't feel like vintage Broad, which I don't know if that's uh, should it be measured to Stuart Broad standards or well, should it, it should be measured within the context of this match it should it? be so, measured against everybody else it seems monstrously yeah. unfair to expect uh broad uh broad to have to live up to his own incredible standards it's like saying <laughs> well bradman you only made 75 that we're, we're not going to count that as a good innings just like well yeah. still kind of a good inning <laughs> my other favorite of yours is uh is is brad had him flapping around i find that it's very comical isn't it? i i feel like i want to uh you know t- take a snippet of that footage turn it black and white uh chop every other frame out and put some <laughs> old timey music behind it and post it to twitter Speed it up a bit. yeah yeah um so yeah, yeah i i would say that's definitely my my second strongest i i think your strongest is probably flintoff because i'm just kind of I, I keep coming back to this idea that he got three what was it three fifers and five hundred three fifers and five hundreds and, and managed to get them managed to get one of each on the same yeah. ground not so not like two hundreds on the same ground but one hundred one five first same ground because I'm, I'm just trying to do like the the probability in my head presumably played like half his roughly half his games overseas e- even if it's slightly biased he's still only got 300s in England
England and two fivers in England, say. Like, yeah. that's very slim to, to get them <laughs> one of each at the same ground. That seems very unlikely. But as you say, they do play at Lords a lot, so. Yeah, I mean, if I was like a proper like cricket journalist, I'd have all the information in my fingertips <laughs> of where each of them happened. I could probably dredge them all up given time, but it would be a yeah. lot of humming and ahhing and yeah. thinking. And we so. can't be bothered with that. that, that that's no, that's, that's not important. We're not for doing all of the research no. that's not a thing we want to do <laughs> so I, I would say that's your strongest but I, I would uh, probably uh, put forth that Haddon is stronger than Flintoff and Johnson is stronger than both of them would, would be okay. my ranking my, I well think. I will concede that Flintoff is stronger than um, Stuart Broad's first balls Peter Siddle's <laughs> muted appeal seems to have been um, fallen yeah. by the way so. yeah I think so uh, and Haddon and Clark's 185 from partnership the problem there is that it's, it's technically two Australians is one of the problems. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a stumbling block. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like the England contribution to that was great. That's true. Uh, Fair enough. But I, I think even so, it didn't like the the, the, the tense finish never actually materialized. Yes. Even if the idea manifested it quite yeah. early on. I think that's more a reflection of the, the time. So yes. we'll, we'll rule out. So, if, well, you're arguing that had, had him flapping around is uh, stronger than Stuart Broad or Flintoff. Really, I or... think so. Yeah, I, that, 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 that's certainly my case. I, I, either either way, I'm pretty sure that uh, Johnson and Haddon both belong in, on on the podium in in the top one or three spots. I feel like we should include Flintoff ahead of Broad on the mm-hmm. basis that Flintoff had a higher than justified profile during this match from having announced his retirement <laughs> yeah. four matches before he was actually finishing. And uh, so, you know, what better way for Flintoff to go out on his final Lord's appearance than to get one point in the Ridiculous Ashes? Yeah, and he'll be very, very emotional about it, I'm sure. Yes, I dare say, but in a very postured, uh, media-aware <laughs> kind of a way. Yeah. Uh, so I'd say three points for Johnson, two points for Brad Haddon flapping around yep. with, a, like, a cheeky look on his face, and uh, <laughs> one point to Andrew Flintoff. Yep. So Australia's test. Australia's test. Australia take a one lead in the series so that, that's a bit exciting for australia we, we might actually uh might actually win a ridiculous ashes don't want to get ahead of myself still three tests to go but good to good to take a lead here so i think that will wrap it up for this uh this episode thank you for listening uh you can check out alex's website he's over at kingcricket.co.uk and you can check out mine i'm at liebcricket.com uh we are also all on twitter uh at the king's tweets for alex at liebcricket for me and our kind of combined effort where if i ever put together the uh, the slapstick Brad Haddon it will go on the at ridiculous ashes so follow that if you if you dare and I guess we'll be back in a week with our coverage of the third test of the 2009 ridiculous ashes and we will see you then see you sports social podcast network